Good morning, City Light. Uh, as Jordan said, my name is Dave, and I'm one of the elders here, serving on the, on the elder team, as well as a, one of the co-leaders of our city groups. But today I have the privilege of preaching the message to you, which I always love doing. Now, I'm, I'm not a fisherman, but I, I do remember the very first time I caught my fish, because it was that memorable. It was memorable because it was probably the one and only time I've ever caught a fish in my life. But it was done in complete Huckleberry Finn style. And by that I mean I literally had just a bamboo cane pole. I had uh, a piece of string tied to the end, not a fishing line, just string. I had a hook and a worm. And the only thing missing that day was a pair of overalls and a piece of straw in my mouth, you know? It was classic. But we were out on a boat together in beautiful northern Minnesota trolling along and it was my dad and his friend in the boat and my brother and I slowly cruising along. And I was, honestly, I was the youngest kid on the boat, so I think my dad uh, just gave me the cane pole to, to placate me as, as the real men did the, did the real fishing. But as we trolled along in the shallows, I started to feel my, my line being tugged on. So I said, Dad, I, I think I got a fish. And he said it was probably nothing, and he was busy doing the real fishing. Well, the line continued to tug, so I tugged on my dad and said, Dad, I think I really caught a fish. And at that point, he, he put down his pole, and he, he uh, landed, pulled in a big northern pike. That was like, you know, I was, I was afraid to touch it. But, you know, to my eight-year-old eight self, this northern pike appeared to swim right out of the book of Jonah. You know, I was, I was certain that this leviathan from the deep was about to spew out the prophet Jonah right into our boat. I was that amazed by it. Now, now, later that day when, when we got back to shore, I was able to give my mom the play-by-play -play account of this ferocious and epic battle of man versus beast. Now, I highlighted for her, you know, how in the face of great odds, her son David was able to prevail against this noble aquatic adversary. Now, just like King David in the Bible himself, I shunned the high-tech equipment of the day, and I went after this leviathan with a lowly piece of string and a hook and a worm, and I prevailed. Now, I, strateg I strategically skipped over the part where I was afraid to touch the fish. She didn't need to know that. Now, my, my technique and my equipment that day was nothing but fancy, but it was effective. I knew nothing about catching fish except I had to put my line in the water, yet I was the first one in the boat to catch a fish that day. Now, my bait was a worm. There's no jigs, no lures, or whatever you call that stuff. I didn't know how to tie a fishing knot or cast a line. I just put my string in the water. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no experience. All that didn't matter because I just wanted to be with my dad doing dad stuff. If my dad was going fishing, then I wanted to go fishing. I just wanted to follow his lead. I think being a disciple of Jesus is a lot like that, except the part where you brag to your mom about catching fish. Now, being a disciple or, or a Jesus follower is a lot like going fishing. In fact, it's in that context and using a fishing analogy that Jesus calls his first followers to him. Now, before we get into that verse, the verses that Jordan read for us this morning, let me, let me take one minute and kind of back out and give you a big picture of the book of Matthew. Because it's always help, helpful to see the big picture first before you get down to, to the nitty-gritty. 
Now, in preaching, uh, you dig deep into a particular passage. You, you look at all the different verbs, and, and, and you dive deep for the sermon that day. But you also have to back out and take into account the whole book that you're preaching from. And when you do, uh, this helps um, uh, bring to light under, underlying themes in the book. So, so track with me here for a minute. I promise this will be interesting. It'll help us understand the whole thing. So we can learn a lot when we look at how a book is structured. Um, for example, in Matthew, there are two sets of very interesting bookends that are helpful to understand the, the major themes within it. Now, these bookends kind of serve as a kind of framework, two at the beginning of Matthew and, and two at the end, that helps us understand what lies in between. So the first set of, of bookmarks is found in the very first chapter, chapter 1, and then in the very last sentence, the last phrase of the last sentence of the last chapter of Matthew. Now in chapter 1 it says, in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God's presence is predicted or prophesied right away in chapter 1. And then in the very last sentence of Matthew, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So God's presence is prophesied, predicted, and very end of Matthew, God's presence is fulfilled when Jesus says, I'm going to be with you forever. Now the second set of bookends kind of comes out of that first. It's kind of a subset, if I can call it that. So God's presence on the, on the outside, then a little further, closer to our text today, now we find a second set. And Jordan read for us verse 17, where Jesus begins his preaching by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the kingdom of heaven has arrived. The king is on the scene. God's presence is now realized. And then again in chapter 28 and verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in this kingdom, the king is here, and he is the one with all authority because he is the king. So these are the kind of the sides of, of the frame that we want to look at today. God's presence means that his kingdom is here, and his kingdom means that he is the ruler on the throne, established forever and for all time, and God's presence brings us this opportunity to know him and have a relationship with him. So it's with this authority as king that he calls us into this relationship of being a disciple. And it's here I want to land today. I want to camp out in this idea of discipleship because it's one of the underlying themes and currents that we see throughout the entire book of Matthew, that Jesus is the king who, who brings to us the kingdom of heaven, and as citizens of his kingdom, we are called to work for the king. And this work we're called to do is one of making disciples or followers of Jesus. So my sermon today has a real, real simple outline that we can pull from the text that Jordan read. And it's simply this, follow Jesus and live on mission with Jesus. So let's talk about following Jesus for a minute. When Jesus approached these four fishermen and, and called them to leave their nets and boats, these guys had just a tad more uh, experience at fishing than your average angler. Now, these guys were not weekend warriors on the water. They weren't even out competing in the Bassmaster Classic, you know, with sponsor logos plastered on the side of their boat. And they sure weren't flying across the Sea of Galilee in their Nitro Z21 Elite LX bass boat powered by a 300-horsepower L-Pro XX four-stroke with Torquemaster. 
And I'm not sure what all that means, but I do know that you can run down to Bass Pro and buy it because I looked it up. <laughs> now, this, so this wasn't just a hobby. This isn't what they just did to relax on the weekends. It was their vocation, and it wasn't necessarily an easy one. But Jesus comes to them, and in verse 18, he sees Simon and Andrew casting a net. And then in verse 20, he says, he says follow me, and immediately they leave those nets behind. Then they go on and they tell two other brothers, James and John, and they leave their nets and their boats and they follow Jesus. Now at first glance, leaving a couple fishing nets and a boat behind doesn't seem like a big deal, right? Now on the surface, it might not seem like much, but however, those nets, those boats encompass their entire lives. It represents their livelihood, their investments, their family ties. It's what they occupied their day with. Everything about them was represented in these nets and boats. Now, those nets brought home the bacon, or in this case, the fish, with what they would then sell to provide for their families. And when they weren't using those nets to catch fish, they would be hanging them up to dry and working on them and mending them. They required constant attention in order to do the work that they were designed to do. Now, they fished with them in the morning. They would work on them in the afternoon. And then the next day, they would get up and do it all over again. They literally breathed and ate and lived by those nets. So this wasn't just about a job change that Jesus was calling them to. It was a refocusing of life. It, it was a new direction that on the surface doesn't make sense because they stepped away from their livelihood and stepped under the lordship and leadership of Jesus. So we could call discipleship the great disruption because Jesus happens to be highly effective at disrupting our lives and our plans. Now today that might look like a carpenter putting down a set of tools that builds walls in order to pick up another set of tools to build lives. It, it, it might look like a mechanic putting aside oil changes in, in order to work on changing other people's lives. It might look like a, a teacher giving up a comfortable teaching position in the burbs in order to teach and reach inner city kids in a less uh, privileged area. It might look like a person in information technology closing the lid on his laptop in order to bring information to orphans in Africa, the gospel information. Now, for others, this might look like staying with your occupation, but, but being disrupted in the priorities of your life. So your identification as a person with a certain kind of job is all of a sudden replaced with your identity in Christ. Your activities are replaced by abiding in Christ. Pursuing productivity is replaced by pursuing holiness. Jesus loves to disrupt, reposition, and reprioritize our lives when we step into discipleship. When I was pastoring a church in Wisconsin, one of our elders there was named Kurt Mickler. And Kurt ran a very, very profitable computer consulting business. But Kirk was a guy whose real passion in life was missions and discipleship. And owning his own business allowed him to take short-term mission trips to Ethiopia. And he would go and he would uh, lead seminars and teach pastors um, and train them on how to be better leaders in their local churches. And through God's prompting and a responsive heart on Kirk's behalf, 
him and his wife Kathy sold the business. They left the comfort and security of that business and a home literally on the golf course and moved to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. So Kurt left his computers behind and followed the leading of Jesus to Ethiopia and fished for people. Now what that looks like for you is, is going to be unique. Now, what's God calling you to lay down is going to look different from those people that are around, around you. But, but this does hold true that we need to be willing to lay down all things in order to live for one thing, and that is Jesus. To be, to be a disciple of Jesus means that we hold loosely everything in this life in order to cling, cling tightly to the person and mission of Jesus and his kingdom. So we hold loosely our plans and we grasp a hold of his purpose. We hold loosely our priorities in order to grasp a hold of his presence. One hand is open and the other is tight, holding on to Jesus and his call in your life. Now, to, to lay down everything in life doesn't make sense in, until you realize who is the one doing the calling, who is the one doing the asking. Now, we might not all know all the details of where Christ is leading us, but we can know who we are following. Now, we rarely, if ever, know all the details and the plans that he calls us to, but that shouldn't stop us. Well, what can we be certain of? Well, we're following God himself. We're following the, the originator and author of life, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, all seen in the person of Jesus. And the same Christ is the one who took the initiative to come to us, to save us, to redeem us, and to restore to us a relationship that God desires to have us, and that is to be a disciple of Jesus, first and foremost. So when Jesus called these men that day and told them to drop their nets and follow him, they didn't know everything there was to know about being a, a disciple. They didn't even know all there was to know about, about Jesus himself and his true identity, as we learn later in the Gospels. All these guys knew was that here's a rabbi proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he's giving them a personal invitation to follow. I believe that holds true for us today as well. I mean, do we need to know everything that there is to know before we say yes to Jesus? Do we have to have everything figured out before we say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you? Do we need to know all of Scripture and have mass amounts memorized and know everything but before we step into obedient following him? Now, it might look fuzzy at the start, but Jesus still says follow. In fact, most of life is fuzzy, but we can still follow with assurance. So Jesus not only takes the initiative to choose us, but he also provides the power to use us. Now, there are four words that are easy to jump over on our way from follow me to, to fishers of men. And they are the words that, that say, I will make you. This is where living on mission with Jesus takes hold. Now, Jesus does not immediately command his disciples to go out and start fishing for people because before the mission comes the making. He says, I'm going to do a work in you to make you into something that you are currently not. You're going to go from bass fishing to fishing for people. Committing to live on mission with Jesus means that we are then willing and open to being changed by Jesus. See, Jesus desires an ongoing, transforming work in our lives. Because in order to, to make disciples, 
to approach that and run after that, we first have to be a disciple. And when we allow Jesus to work on us and in us, then he can begin to work through us and reach out to other people. So that means we, we need to go all in for Jesus so that we can go all out for Jesus. Because this transforming work of our lives was never meant just to stop with us. Because discipleship, as we see in the Bible, is this multi-layered, multi-generational, multiplication growth process. Because Jesus calls us to be a disciple who then make disciples, who then go on to make other disciples, and this is replicated over and over and over until Jesus returns. So City Light, if, if we're not living intentionally on mission and making disciples, and then we've missed, really, of what it means to be a disciple in the first place. That's, that's one of the reasons why city groups are, are just as important as our Sunday morning gathering. The two go hand in hand, two, two, hand, two halves of, of our vision, to multiply churches and disciples. And the reason we gather as city groups is not just to meet and eat, but, but to come alongside each other and ask, you know, how can... How can we be a better follower of Jesus? How can we be obedient to the teachings of Jesus? How can we live on mission right here in Council Bluffs? Now, you might be thinking, I can't do that. You know, I've never done that. That's not me. And to that, I say, yes, that's the point. We can't do that. That's why we need Jesus to make us what we cannot be in and of ourselves. See, the core of discipleship, as we follow him, then he makes us fishers of men. When Jesus calls these first disciples, what he saw in them was potential, not perfection. He saw men with a willing, open hearts to follow him as learners. And I think he looks at us today, and he looks and he says, I, here's what I see in you, potential. I want to work through you, in you, so that you can reach other people. You know, I see this being lived out in our, in our city group, for example. We have ladies stepping out, taking faith-filled risks and investing in other women. I, I, I see these ladies stepping out where others might see, a, see this person with a bunch of problems and want to stay, stay away, keep it at arm's length, but no, they're stepping in and saying, hey, let's minister, let's come alongside them and show Jesus to them. We have men in our city group carving out even more time to meet during the week above and beyond our city group simply to encourage one another as they dig into the word together. You know, but living on mission is, is not easy. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it, right? Because not every time you step out and invest in somebody in a relational discipleship um, approach, it's, it's not always going to be a success story. At, at one church I pastored, there, there was a man named Tommy uh, that I got to know, and uh, we met together, and we discipled each other for a long time. And Tommy was, was a felon who had recently been released from prison, and he was honestly just uh, pursuing Jesus. And, and, and at the point of that time in ministry, we met for over a period of probably two years, and I really saw growth in Tommy. I mean, he was running after Jesus. He started attending a men's Bible study I was leading, and then I would ask him to kind of come alongside me as a co-leader, and then I was actually able to step away, and, and he would lead the study at a time, and it was really cool to see this transformation process one time. 
And, and at one, one point when we were meeting for coffee, he told me um, what's really impacted me. He said, Dave, no one has ever believed in me before. You know, because Tommy was from the, from the wrong family. He was labeled as a felon, as a drug dealer, as a convict, and he was from the wrong town, wrong family, the wrong side of the tracks. And eventually I was able to, to perform his wedding and just see this period of growth in his life. But, you know, I wish I could say that he's still growing in Christ, but that's not the case. You know, the last time I saw Tommy, he was literally high on meth and his marriage had crumbled and disintegrated. So it's not always success stories. But Jesus still says, step into it. Step in to take those risks and get to know people. Because Jesus never promised that making disciples would be easy. You know, we're dealing with people's lives, and people's lives are messy. You know, we're all messed up. Sometimes it's two steps forward. Sometimes it's one step back. Sometimes it looks like lunch dates canceled or, or being stood up for coffees that were scheduled or text messages left unanswered. You know, some, sometimes you meet for two or three times and just at the point where you're getting ready to go deep, they fade away. But don't give up. Today I want to I challenge you to take seriously this call to fish for people. It's a calling to step into intentional relational discipleship. Well, let me give you some practical things that can help you in this process. And this requires that we be intentional in a few different areas in our lives. First of all, it, it starts with you, with you following Jesus. Because you can't ask someone to step into a discipleship relationship if you yourself are not a disciple. So be an intentional student yourself of Jesus. Spend time in his word, in prayer, in community. Make your spiritual growth a priority. But then also be intentional with your time. And by, by that, I mean prioritize your schedule. Make, make time in your week to be part of a city group. Make time in your week to, to meet with other people for breakfast, lunch, or coffee. You know, have people over to your home. Connect with them, and, and not just through text messages, but actually sit down with people. I mean, try it. You, you, you might like it, you know. And when, when you do build those relationships, begin to model intentional transparency. When, when you share things that you struggle with, it can have a positive effect on, on the people that, that you're meeting with because it let, lets them know that you're a work in progress as, as well, you know, that, that God is working on your life as well, and it lets them know that they're not alone. It just opens up opportunities to share um, and go even deeper. And then lastly, be intentional about opening up Scripture together. I mean, share what you've been reading in, in Scripture now, this doesn't mean you have to be a theologian and read a ton of Christian books and be able to quote authors and historical figures, but just come with your questions, come with your insights, come with those moments where Scripture just comes alive and, and you have those aha moments when, when you're reading and all of a sudden you realize that, hey, that's talking about me or that's God's message for me. You know, just come hungry. And if we follow Jesus, that we need to be listening to the words of Jesus and spending time with, with his words. So practically, you could just uh, read a chapter of scripture together each week, or every time you meet, and then talk about that scripture. And when you do meet, you're, you're going to talk about a myriad of different things. You're going to be transparent with your lives, your struggles and victories, but always come back to scripture. Let the words of Jesus speak into our lives. Be reminded of his good grace as he makes you fish for people. 
You know, we've been talking about following Jesus. We've been talking about living on mission with Jesus. And as I close today, let me ask you a question. Does this describe you? You know, can you say, that's me in these areas of your life? You see, a, a passage of Scripture like Matthew 4, 19 isn't intended simply to be analyzed and, and picked apart. It's intended to confront us with a question, with a couple questions. Who are you following or what are you following? City Light Jesus is worthy of far more than church attendance or casual association. Jesus is worth leaving everything in order to follow because he left everything to chase after you. Jesus went further than simply dropping a pole and line in the water. He hung on a wooden beam for you. Jesus went further than casting a net into the water. He laid down his life to make us friends. Jesus did more than leave a boat behind. He left heaven behind. So can I ask you today, will you follow Jesus? Will you? And if so, then Jesus wants you to go fishing. So put your string in the water and fish for people because eternity is at stake. You pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for this challenge that Jesus brings to us today where he says to each of us, follow me. And Jesus, you will make us fishers of men. Father, may these words speak to our lives today. May they convict, may they confront, may they challenge, and may they call us into that intentional relational discipleship with you and with other people. But Father, continue to work in our lives so that we can continue to point other people to you. And we pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.